You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the Amen. Good morning, my friends. How are you? Thanks, Taylor. All right. Good to see everybody. And if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, please open to Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you're going to want to bring one every week that you come, because what we'll be doing is just walking through the scriptures. And, uh, and so if you don't have a Bible, there, is, there are some Bibles in a basket underneath the row in front of you. And you can grab one of those Bibles um, if you don't have one today, and, uh, or you can ask someone to hand it to you if you can't reach it. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then you can take that Bible home with you and you can write your name in it. It's our gift to you and start using it. We want to make you comfortable in the scriptures, comfortable in the scriptures. You need them and, uh, and you need your own. And so feel free to take it if you need it. Um, and uh, before we read, explain and apply the text that the Lord has given us for today as we continue moving verse by verse through the book of Luke, which is what we're doing every week, right? We're reading it, we're explaining it. So all we're doing is explaining the text and then along the way, applying it. Before we do that for today with the the verses, the passage that the Lord has given us today in Luke, We're going to recite our memory verse for the month of April. Now, every month we memorize a verse together corporately, okay, so that we're all memorizing scripture together, and you're also reading your Bible study plan, Um, hopefully many of you. It's an interesting uh, thing to think that we're all kind of reading on the same page, and we're memorizing the same verse monthly. What a beautiful picture of what it means to uh, grow in the Lord in a corporate setting as it should be. Um, but we, uh, this will be the first time reciting our, our memory verse for April, although it's the second week of April, because uh, we, didn't, we, didn't we, we didn't look at it on, on Easter Sunday. And uh, so this will be the first time. So let's recite it all together on the screen. You say, hey, I thought you said memory verse. These are four verses, right? Well, um, sometimes we'll give you one, sometimes two, sometimes three. This month, four. All right? But listen, I encourage you, memorize this passage. You're going to want to memorize this. This will be life to your soul if you'll memorize this. If you'll memorize this and keep this hidden in your heart, this passage, It will give life to your soul more times than you can 
count in your lifetime. Okay, so I want to encourage you, take, take this and let this verse move into the recesses of your heart. And uh, let's recite it together. You ready? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You're going to want to memorize this one for real. Because this will encourage you. And uh, this is such a benefit, this passage, to guide you into a place of worship. That's what this passage will do. It will guide you into a place of worship. I really want to start simply with this verse. But as we'll look more and more in the coming weeks uh, at this progression of these four verses, there's a progression here. Okay, there's a progression that's helpful and informative. And what I'd call it is a roadmap to worship, a roadmap to worship. Okay, you want to get to a place of worship in your heart, live in a place of worship, come in here already in a place of worship. This verse will get you there. It's a a roadmap to get you there. The progression is helpful and informative. And, you know, for us, As we talk about this verse and this idea of worship, that's one of my prayers for our church. One of my prayers for our church is that we would become more worshipful, right? We place a high priority on worship, which we do, but I want it to be in the hearts of every person who comes here. I want you to be already living in a place of worship, and on Sunday, that you would be in a place of, of worship, that there would be a high priority of worshiping God in your life. You know, that is the goal of life. That's the whole goal of life. That's the whole purpose to which God created everything. Worship. Did you know that? The reason why God created everything was for worship, for his glory, to enjoy making much of God. Not that you make much of him because he's not a lot, that you make much of him because he is already a lot, right? That's what it means to glorify God. It means to show him to be as great as he already is. When the world glorifies God, when nature glorifies God, it shows visibly what God is like, right? We don't give God glory. He is intrinsically glorious, but we affirm that. We enjoy that. We make much of that. We make him look great to the world. That's the whole purpose of the world. And when you're doing that, that's worship. When you acknowledge the glory of God, specifically in the face of Jesus Christ, that is worship because of the glory of our God. And it can be in suffering, right? The Bible talks with these uh, seemingly contradicting statements, like sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? That's our life as Christians. You're not always jubilant. That, that would be naive, 
right? You want to have a sense of reality. We're sorrowful, but we're always rejoicing. That's the Christian life, right? But in light of who God is and in light of, of, uh, of his glory, we worship. And it can be, again, in suffering. It can be expressive. It can be passive in the sense that you have no control over life. But in your heart, you're active. Your heart and your mind. And this is what it means, that we have him through the gospel. We have God through the gospel. He gives us himself through Christ. And then we spend the rest of our lives amazed at who he is. And when we worship him, you're getting your greatest good and he's getting the greatest glory at the same time. Think about this. When you worship God, you are enjoying the greatest thing that you could possibly have, namely God. God gives himself through the gospel. That's what he gives mainly. He doesn't give stuff. He gives himself. And you couldn't get anything better than God, right? What could be better than God? Just objectively, nothing. So he gives you the greatest possible thing. You see who he is and you enjoy who he is. That's worship for the rest of your life. And he gets the greatest possible glory because he's made known throughout all the earth. At the same time, this is how he designed it to work. Glory, worship, your enjoyment for all of eternity. That's how it's going to be in heaven too. So we worship him and we worship in light of his glory. And when we do worship, we worship him and it shows his glory. Right? This is how we respond to him. And this is the goal of redemption. This is the goal of salvation. This is the goal of knowing him, understanding him. He's worthy of all worship. And listen, let me just tell you, it doesn't always have to be uh, a time where you really, really are, are beside yourself in your feelings. I mean, that happens, right? But it's also mainly foundationally based upon the truth of who God is. And so you affirm who he is in your worship. You say, God, you created the world. You're the only one who created everything. Therefore, you are the only one worthy of what? Worship. You're the only one worthy of worship. Because you created everything. Who else created everything? Who else? Nobody. So who else is worthy of worship? No one. You're affirming that. When you worship based upon knowledge of who he is, right? And so that's why we, by the way, inform you through the scriptures, because it shouldn't just be you worship based on your circumstances. Like if I'm feeling good right now, if I come in here today and everything's been perfect outside of these walls, man, I'm worshiping, right? We give you doctrine and truth because then what happens is you draw back on principles, that don't change. You draw back on truth and you say, no matter what I'm feeling right now, I affirm that you're the only one worthy of worship. We base our worship based on, on truth. Does this make sense? So, so this is why we give you doctrine, for instance. Doctrine on Sunday evenings when we're teaching. Tonight we're going to start with bibliology, the study of, of the Bible. We're going to put that into categories so you know what the Bible is and, and, uh, and what it's about, Right? that it, we affirm that it's authoritative and inspired by God, etc. So listen, when you have categories about God, who he is, doctrine, you draw back and you say, this is who God is, and I affirm that he's the only one worthy of worship, even when you don't feel it, right? So it's based on truth. Listen, let me tell you, the glorifying of his name through the worship of his people 
is the reason why God created the world. The glorifying of his name through the worship of his people, lifting up his name through the worship of his people who are in turn enjoying the greatest thing they could possibly get is the reason why God created the world. And that's the way of him loving you the best. If he gives you anything other than himself, he's giving you second best. You understand that? So this is, this, is what God, this is what we're created for, for worship. The greatest enjoyment for man, the greatest glory to God. And by the way, this is why you evangelize. John Piper says missions exists because worship doesn't. Think about that. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason why we go to the world is because he's got a world that has failed to worship God. You get it? So we help people see God and know God and love God and worship God. That's why missions exist. That's the goal. Why, that's why evangelism exists. Because worship does it. So the goal of you reaching your neighbor and the nations is for them to know the truth, know him through the gospel, and worship him for all of eternity. Right? And we worship, like I said, in spirit and truth. Truth. So... Psalm 22 says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This is wonderful. So our memory verse, there's a progression to get us there to this place of worship. And in the coming weeks, I'm gonna show it to you. But I wanna focus just on one question today. I just wanna ask you one question. Does that verse one describe you? So I wanna start with today. You say, well, you started with a lot more than that. Well, you're right, you're right. But I wanna ask you that. Does that verse one describe you? It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Would that describe your life? Does that describe your relationship with, with God? Would that be, hey, that's a picture of my life every day. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul is thirsty constantly for you. I need to drink, drink, drink. My flesh, it faints for you. As in a dry and weary land. It's like where I'm in a desert every day. And I need you where there is no water. Does that describe your Christian life? Because that's normal Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. That's not extreme Christianity. It's not for the rest of the people in the room. That's for you. It's for everybody. Right? So would that describe you? Let's make it our goal this month to get there. Right? All right. Now, let's read the text the Lord's given us for today. Second sermon of the morning. Luke 12, 54 through 56. <clears throat> he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. 
you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? We've had some weighty passages recently, haven't we? Now, what we're seeing here in this passage is a failure to recognize and respond to, to Christ. Okay, that's the main point here. A failure to recognize and respond to Christ. That's the authorial intent. That's the main point. That's the, uh, that's the doctrine that's being made known here. Jesus is making clear that the crowds have lacked any type of spiritual discernment in recognizing that he is the Christ or responding to him as the Christ. The Messiah is right in front of them. He has made his identity known through his miracles, his teaching. He's called them to repentance and to faith. And they have failed to respond in repentance and faith. They've rejected him instead of recognizing and receiving him. It's what John 1 says. In him was life, and he was the life. The life was the light of men. John 1, 9, five verses later, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him exactly what's happening here. And this rejection here is amplified by the fact that these are the Jews who claim to be waiting for the Messiah. They claim to be looking, watching, which we celebrate when? At Advent, right? We celebrate that. We talk about how the Jews were waiting and watching for, for the Christ. That's what we celebrated Advent. They claimed to be righteous before God. They claimed that they were God's people. They knew the prophecies. They witnessed the miracles. They heard his teaching. They've witnessed counts, countless evidences and proofs that he's the Messiah. If you remember, if you were here like five years ago when we were in the first nine chapters of the book of Luke, you witness that the first nine chapters of Luke were all about witness after witness after witness that this is the Christ. The first nine chapters. That's what the main point of chapters one through nine of the book of Luke are. This is the Messiah, right? And they've missed it. John 9 says this. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see me may see, or see, may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the idea here, is that they have claimed to see. They claim to be watching. They claim to be waiting. They claim to be looking, 
They claim to be God's people, the righteous ones who have the law, who are waiting for the Messiah to come. And even now that Christ is here, they've heard the claims. They've heard his calling. This is the time of his visitation, as the scripture calls it, meaning God has visited his people, right? He's come to earth. And they know the scriptures and the Christ is here and the Messiah is in front of them and they've missed the opportunity. They have lacked the spiritual discernment that they claim to have. They failed to interpret the time. They rejected him. John 8 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the life, the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where, I'm, where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. And that's what happened. That's what was happening. They were judging according to the flesh. They were trying to see with their own eyes. They say, you bear witness about yourself that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Your testimony is not true. All the while, they're claiming to look for him. And by the way, he's still in, he's in front of them and they still don't believe. Even though he's literally telling them, I'm telling you this because you're not believing, they still continued in their unbelief. Like he's literally exposing to them their issue. And they're still not believing. They're hearing, but they don't hear. They're perceiving, but, but or, I'm sorry, they're, they're listening, but they don't perceive or understand or respond. They still need more proofs. Show me more proof. They still need more miracles. They still need more evidences. And even if they get it, guess what? They still won't believe. Why? Because they don't want to. That's the real issue. They don't want to believe. They, they love the praise of man rather than the approval of God. They think they're righteous and Christ's claims are offensive. They want to keep their lives. They don't think they need to repent. They failed to recognize their sinful condition and the impending judgment of God. They don't see their own need for forgiveness and righteousness through Christ. They want an earthly king who will give them power and prosperity. They want an earthly military leader. I mean, these are all the reasons. I'm just listing them off. We see these all throughout scripture as to why they've rejected him. He's not exactly who they want him to be. He's not the exact kind of Messiah they want him to be, right? The demands don't work well with, this, with their lifestyle. Remember that passage we read? Um, I forget where it was, maybe uh, 10, for chapter 10, so long ago. Um, where they said, what kind of generation is this? He's saying, he says, you know, they sang and they did this and, and they say, you didn't dance, Jesus. You, you, you didn't, you didn't. You were saying a dirge and you didn't dance, etc. What, what is he saying there? He's saying this generation, I'm not the kind of Messiah that they want. I'm not exactly who they want. They want the idea of heaven, God, righteousness, etc. But then they come into church, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, 
And, he's, and when they listen to the word, it's just not exactly what they want it to be. I thought I wanted that, but it's, this is not exactly what I want it, what I want it to be. So I'm going to go, as 2 Timothy says, find a, a, a teacher that will teach me what I, exactly how I want this Christ to work out for my life. That's the picture of the Christ that I want. Right? That's the one that I want. So they believe the righteous by their works. They fail to see their need to get ready. They're anxious about this life. They treasure this life, not the kingdom. They're spiritual hypocrites. They want to clean the outside, not the inside. They don't want to be spiritually cleansed. They want to lay up treasures on earth, not in heaven. They don't want to acknowledge the Christ or the Holy Spirit's work. They fail to realize God is the judge who has the authority to cast into hell. But we must remember now, he's speaking to the crowds here in this passage. The Jews, those who are at self-righteous and at best interested, intrigued, and curious, but not true disciples. And this amplifies their guilt. Why? Listen, listen. Why does it amplify their guilt? Because, remember, one's guilt is directly linked to their knowledge of the truth in the scriptures. Guilt is directly linked to the knowledge of the truth. John 15 says this, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Although they, they would, Jesus is speaking hyperbole there. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Although every man is without excuse. Listen, every man is sinful. Jesus is saying they are under serious, serious guilt. Because I've exposed myself to, to, to the whole crowd. I've shown who I am. The truth of who I am. And they still have not believed. Jesus is making it clear that they're missing it. And it's right in front of them despite the evidence. Look at Acts chapter 3. Here's, here's the truth about them. Listen. You are the sons of the prophets. This is who they were. This is the crowds. The sons of the prophets. Of the covenant that God made with your fathers. Saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant. Who did he go to first? Sent him to you first. You're the children of the prophets. You got the law. When Jesus came, he came to you first. The Christ came to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless all of you by turning you away from your wickedness, but they failed to recognize and respond, to understand and interpret. Romans 1 says this, though they knew God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only did them, but they gave approval to those who practice them. So these Pharisees, these crowds weren't just saying, hey, I know the law, but I'm going to, and I know we're, we're waiting for this Messiah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of live in my own self-righteousness. They actually perpetuated that amongst the people. Now, I'm giving you a long intro here because, listen, we got, this is very easy to understand, very simple, but we got, we got to internalize this for a second to understand what's really happening here. This has got to move into your heart. It's got to grip you. Because this is one of the most sad realities in all the Bible. 
the Messiah right in front of them, the truth right in front of them, the truth repeated over and over right in front of them. Their ears have literally been listening to the truth over and over and over and over again. And yet no repentance, no faith. This is sad reality. And this sad reality isn't isolated to just the people in Jesus's day. This is the reality of the people we see every day. And we need to understand maybe the reality of some of the people in this room. And I hope not. Despite hearing God's truth in the scriptures week after week, despite having the gospel preached to them repeatedly, despite witnessing Christ and his evidences and his proofs and his miracles, despite having everything recorded in the scriptures, being in church every week, there is a rejection, John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works was ev- were, were evil. Listen, this is the sad reality and we gotta understand this. The failure to stop contemplate what's being said from the scriptures and whether or not it applies to me and I should respond because of it. It's like we can trick ourselves and all of a sudden it's for everybody else in the room except me. And I've got to figure it out because I've been a Christian long enough. I know how to work this thing or I'm not a Christian, but I'm, I'm a pretty wise individual I'm discerning here. Well, these Jews thought the same thing and they lacked spiritual discernment. They failed to recognize the grave state that they were in before God because of their sins. The urgency to recognize Christ and his claims and to respond like a faithful servant. Remember that? Who makes himself ready. They hear, but it doesn't register. They hear, they don't respond. They would rather have the praise that comes from this life than to be right before God. Look at what John 5 says. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The answer is you can't. If you seek to have glory in this life more than glory before God for all of eternity, you won't believe. Does it make sense? This is what's happening. You should understand this is what's happening under the surface. They listen, observe, but they'll wait till later. They'll listen, they'll observe, but they'd rather have this life. They'll listen, they'll observe, but they think that everyone who is extreme in following the Messiah is foolish. Like the rest of the people in this room, they're foolish in their pride. They, they, they claim to know better. Let me give you a couple verses. And then we're going to move into explaining this, Right? Look at this, Romans 2. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And there's, there's an offense that comes from the gospel. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. 
as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's you Christians to be holy, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ for it stands in the scriptures. This is a Speaking of the Christ to come, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But look at the world, how they look at this cornerstone, how they look at this Messiah, how they look at this Christ. It says the stone that the builders rejected has become the stone cornerstone and the stone of stumbling block and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the cornerstone of our faith, Jesus Christ, in the gospel. And yet for some, a stumbling block. They stumble right over it. And some people say if Jesus were to appear to them, they would maybe, then they would believe it. Like, okay, Jesus is in front of them. They're missing it. It's the whole point of this. And some say, well, now, well, if he would appear to me, voice from heaven, you know, I'd believe. But no, you wouldn't because he already did that and people still rejected him. Right? So look at this. Look at what Second Peter says. For we did not follow clearly, cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what Peter's talking about here? Anybody say it? You know what he's talking about? The transfiguration. All right, he saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Remember when God said that in the Mount of Transfiguration? We ourselves heard this voice, Peter saying, from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have, watch this, the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Do you know, listen, you know what's the most, the greatest, most fully confirmed evidence of the Christ in front of you? The word of God, even more fully confirmed than if you heard a voice from heaven. The Bible, look at this. Knowing that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So listen, this is what I'm saying to you. He's right in front of you. He's attested to himself through the word. And for some, it's like you're hearing it, but you're not hearing it. You there? Like, this is what's happening in this passage. This is what's happening. I pray that you would recognize today. I pray that you would recognize today. And for those of you who know Christ in the room, which is a lot of you, this principle can be applied in the same way that week after week he's revealing to you in his word himself. Week after week, I stand up here and yell my guts out to you. Week after week, you hear Bible verses. And, and though he's bringing about through his word the pursuit of you and conviction of sin to repent of idolatry, half-hearted commitment, it's like you can hear, but you're not hearing it. 
It's something's not registering. You've overlooked, you've failed to stop and contemplate the truth that he's calling you. Don't miss the opportunity. If you're a non-Christian, these are his means to reach you. The word of God, the preaching of the word. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't be wise in your own eyes and say, I'm I'm gonna wait for something else. And if you're a Christian, listen, this is his means of reaching you through the word. But it's like it doesn't register. So here's what we're just gonna see briefly. Number one, one point from this text, the refusal to acknowledge God's Christ. And I want us to be gripped by this sad reality, by this sad reality. And I want us to make sure that this is not us. And I want us to pray for those around us that God would open the eyes of people that when the Christ, the word, the gospel is presented right in front of somebody, that they wouldn't overlook it, refuse it, that you too would not today in hearing of the word of God fail to realize that he's calling you more deeper into your relationship with him, okay? So verses 54 through 56. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, it's very easy to understand. Probably understand it already if you have eyes to see. You say at once a shower is coming and so it happens and when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? All right, this point's easy. We're going to to make it um, clear as we look at this. There's a failure here to recognize God's Christ right? But failure is probably too passive. It's a refusal. Listen, stay with me. This is a refusal. And recognize, it might be mistaken to say like how he looks. That's not what I'm referring to because the Bible says that um, he didn't meet visual expectation of how he looks, but that no one knows what the Christ was going to look like. It's a failure with the eyes of the heart to recognize, a refusal to acknowledge that this is God's Christ. It's a failure to see with with the heart eyes, to understand and believe. When the Bible, when it talks about seeing, right? You see God, you don't see with your physical eyes. He's spirit, God's spirit. You see with the eyes of your heart. That's how the Bible talks. It's when you, when you come to a knowledge of the truth and then you believe it. That's seeing with the eyes of your heart. That's how the Bible talks about seeing, right? As you see with the eyes of your heart. So they have, for us, we, we, we fail to see, but they've lacked spiritual discernment when God was right in front of them. Why? Well, they were wise in their own eyes. Isaiah 5, 2 says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, Right? Who like, we, let, me, let us figure out if this is really right and true and if we're gonna live by it and if this is the Christ and if it's, I'm gonna decide here if I'm gonna come back, you know, and keep following God. They were just wise in their own eyes, right? So Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, 
But in the end, what? Where does it lead? Mm-hmm. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Romans 1, sorry, Michelle, I'm going backwards on you. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, foolish. They were darkened, claiming to be what? They became fools. When you claim to be wise, like you know better, what happens? You become what? Mm-hmm. So this is God's Christ. This is the anointed one. He's right in front of them, the savior, the king, the redeemer. That's what the Christ means, right? They were trying to interpret rightly if the Christ was there, the long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. We've looked at that. They chose, even though he was right in front of them, to not believe. This wasn't uh, an issue of inadequate information. It was a moral problem. They wanted to live for who? Themselves, right? This wasn't an inadequate information problem, okay? It's a moral problem. And by the way, in your evangelism, let me, let me share with you. Um, if you've shared the adequate information of the gospel and there's a rejection, it's a moral issue. If someone knows the information, Romans 10, how they're gonna know unless someone tells them, at that point, a rejection, it's a spiritual moral issue. It's not an inadequate information issue, right? God's got to change their heart and wanting him more than they want their life, okay? So let's just explain this. Jesus gives two analogies in this section and in the next section. Verse 54, and Jesus said to who? Look at it with me. Verse 54, Jesus said to who? The crowds. So as I mentioned, these are the Jews. And I've explained to you countless times in this series in the gospel that this is what their mentality was. But this exemplifies it, right? It exemplifies it. And let me show you a progression here that illustrates what Jesus is saying. Go back to chapter 12, verse 1. Go back to chapter 12, verse 1 with me. Okay? Okay. Let's look at this progression to make clear to you what Jesus is doing here. Chapter 12, verse one. He gives us a reason as to why the Jewish people in verses one through three don't believe in him. Spiritual what? You guys know spiritual what? Hypocrisy. Want to clean the outside, not the inside. But he tells his disciples in verses four through seven, you don't be that way. You care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. Verses eight through 12. Acknowledge Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit who is calling you to salvation. You guys following with me, tracking? Okay. Here's another reason why people reject the Christ, the Jews. Verses 13 through 21. Greed, right? But he tells his disciples now, y'all don't be that way. Spiritual hypocrisy, disciples don't be that way. Greed, disciples don't be that way. Okay? But instead, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verses 22 through 34, look at that. He says, yeah, don't, don't be that way, disciples. Now, instead, verse 35, you disciples, 
Instead of spiritual hypocrisy, instead of greed, y'all live ready for Christ's return. That's how you should live, right? Now, he talks about a faithful servant and an unfaithful servant. In verse 49, he tells us why he talks like that. Look, he says, because I've come to bring division. Listen, what does he mean? The Jews claim to be righteous before God. They claim to know God. They claim to know the law. They claim to be looking for the Messiah. Christ is making clear. It's just all jumbled up. All these people claim to be righteous and God followers. He's just making this clear. He's making clear division. Those who want Christ and not greed and not spiritual hypocrisy, those who are the faithful servants who are getting ready for his return, and those who just say that they're right before God. Does this make sense? He's bringing clear division. So now he's making clear this is what's happened. They've failed to interpret the time. Messiah is in front of them and they're not responding. He's making clear who's believing and who's not. Verse 57 through 59 and the next section. They failed to settle there with their accuser, God. He's the judge and they failed to get that right with him through Christ. And so verse one through Five of chapter 13, here's what he's saying. It's not other people who need to repent, Jewish crowd. It's you. It's you. Like you make a clear division here and saying you need to repent. It's not others. And then in the parable of the fig tree, he's saying these people are my own. And yet they failed to bear fruit. You get it? He's just making it clear. These people, he's making clear division and he's saying, my people have, have failed to recognize who I am. So, verse 54 through 55. You ready? Go back to the text. Simple observations of patterns. He's talking about weather predictions. Ready? Verse 54. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming and it happens. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that the Jewish people through simple weather patterns, simple weather patterns, right? They, they can predict the weather from the simple patterns. Verse 54, rain generally enters Israel from the clouds to the west over the Mediterranean Sea. So, and then when they see those clouds to the west over the Mediterranean Sea, they say, what? It's going to rain, right? In fact, that actually happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. At the seventh time, he said, behold, a cloud like a man's hand was rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. They saw the cloud over the sea and they knew that rain was going to come. And look what actually happened. Verse 45. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black and the clouds and the wind, and there was a great what? Rain. Yeah, simple patterns. They can predict the weather. Verse 55. Similarly. Okay. Similarly. When they see a south wind, when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat and it happens. The south wind, it comes from the direction of the desert. So when you Feel the south wind. When you see the south wind, what do you know? There's going to be a scorching heat. It's got this wind blowing from the desert. And it's going to be hot. Okay? 
And guess what there is? It's, it's, there's a scorching heat, it says, and so it happens. And then verse 56, to close this out, close the section out, Jesus says, he applies these two analogies to these people. He's, he's speaking to his disciples and then he turns to the crowds. And he's speaking to the Jews. And he's saying, hypocrites. Hypocrites. He's using the same language here. We've discussed this term in detail many a times. And uh, it's used countless times in the passages, in passages in the gospel. And you might wonder, what is that exactly? How does this analogy apply to that accusation of hypocrisy? Well, what Jesus is saying here is, you claim to be seeking God, it's a lie. You claim to be spiritual and it's false. You claim your allegiance is to God and your religion is external. Your hearts are wanting self and evil. How exactly? Well, the analogy makes it clear. You're claiming to be waiting for the Messiah, watching for the patterns of his coming, looking for proofs, and he is right in front of you. And you're missing it. Given by the scriptures. I could give another analogy. Be like, man, you got a great business. You got a great career. You got a great job. You make a lot of money. You got, you're successful in all the ways of the world. And you claim to be wise and smart and discerning. Right? You're the best at your job and you're proud of it. And yet the most foundational reality in all the world is right in front of you. Calling you to a, a full biblical relationship with God and total commitment to his cause. And you're missing it. You're either half-hearted, lukewarm, or you don't even know him. You're a hypocrite. You're not wise. You're not the best. You're not the greatest. Not in God's eyes. Right? That's what he's saying here. That's why I spend so much time trying to expose this and just plead with you in the beginning because this is the most sad reality in all the world. They claim to be watching and waiting for his evidences, for his patterns, and they fail to see it. They fail to see how, they're, how this is the Christ. They've been given the truth, the miracle, the evidences, the witnesses. They're rejecting it. They say they're waiting and they're not. They want the praise of man. They don't want to submit to Christ's rule. The point is here that they're able to regularly discern the weather when given far less evidence than what Christ has given in his appearing to them. And they fail to see it. How has he shown this to them? We're almost done. Well, he's given them his words. Look at this, Matthew 7. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. He's teaching. He had his works. John 10. Jesus answered, I told you and do not, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. That's the point of the miracles. That's the point of the miracles. To show that he's the Christ. Remember when he's on the boat and he speaks to the wind and the waves? And what was their response right after that? Who in the world is this man? Right? That's the right question after that. 
Because that's the whole point of him stopping the wind and the waves, to show that he is God's Christ, the Messiah. His works, right? So, not only this, but this sinless life, his word, his works, and his sinless life, John 8. Which of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Meaning this, the, can you, I mean, like, do you for a second contemplate how sinful you are like 24 hours a day? Because I'm just like, oh my goodness. About myself, not about you. Well, about some of you. <laughs> about some of you. Just kidding. I'm like, my goodness. It's like Paul in Romans 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I, I do. I, 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 the things I want to do, I don't do. Right? And in Romans 8, he says, he starts Romans 8, thanks be to, or at the end of Romans 7, thanks be to God. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Wonderful progression, 7 through 8. But I think about this. Can you imagine if there was someone who was sinless in front of you? Just sinless in every respect. That's Christ. And it, he said, that's, that gave witness. That bore witness about who, it bore witness about who he is. If you didn't see any sinless person, you would be astonished. Right? And so his word, his works, but they just weren't enough evidence for them. This, I'll decide later. Right? They still needed more signs. Right? And uh, he said, basically, if I give you more signs, it's not going to matter. The issue is an insufficient evidence. The issue is that you don't want to believe. Right? So, my encouragement to us today is that we would respond to Christ in the gospel and not claim to need more evidence or we're not sure. Be wise in our own eyes when he's right in front of us. If you, if you don't understand the gospel, we, I mean, we just, let's talk about it or continue to come here and we talk about it very clearly every week, right? God is holy. We are sinners, right? There's a punishment for sin, Christ paid the penalty, the punishment for our sin. We respond in repentance and faith and we live the rest of our life according to his word. But also my encouragement is to you, my flock, the people in this room, sheep. I mean, do you hear the word every week and yet it's just passing through? I just leave with no stopping, contemplating, seeing, realizing that this is God's word that's coming to me. And by the way, these are the means as to how he does this through his word. Some feel this is anticlimactic and I will wait until later. There'll be more evidence later. I'm just waiting for something. That's a figment of your imagination. Don't wait for something. There is no other something. This is the means by which he does it. It's just, you're just going to be waiting right into hell or waiting 
right into a lukewarm life for the rest of your life. That's what they were saying about Jesus too. They were waiting for something climactic. You get it? Like this is the means. He is calling you right now through his word. Like he's calling you right now through his word. Christian, to, to repent of sin and trust in him and be fully devoted. Non-Christian, to come to faith in him. There is no other means. He, this is it. And that's, I mean, it's very relevant because that's what they were doing. They were waiting for something else. You know, the Jews are still waiting for something else. They're still waiting for something else. The Messiah was in front of them, but they didn't believe it. John 8 says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And I just want to close with this. this. This is what has set the tone for me today. This is what Jesus' response was to all of this reality. Well, let me show you one more first. Hold on a second. Turn with me to Mark chapter three. I want to show you two responses. We're almost done. I got four minutes. I'm trying to squeeze out every piece I can to this thing. Mark chapter three. Look at verse five. Mark chapter three, verse five. He's, he's doing good on the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's come to bring life. And look at this. They, they, the, the religious Jewish leaders, they, they accuse him. They're asking him questions. He's, he's asking a question in response. They're trying, to, they're trying to catch him. In verse five, he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of heart. That's what, it's one of Jesus' response, he's just angry and grieved. I'm giving you my truth. I'm right in front of you, right? And here's his other response, Luke chapter 19. When he drew near and saw the city, what happened? Look, let's put it up, sorry, the last, last verse of it. It's coming, it's coming. Three, two, one, go. All right. <laughs> Let's turn there. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Look at verses 41 through 44. We'll close out with this. 19, 41 through 44. Bible drill. When he drew near, you all there? When he drew near and saw the city, he what? He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your, what? Visitation. You just didn't see it. And he wept. So my prayer for you, church, is that all of you 
would see the Christ, see the truth every day, as long as you have breath, and not be blind to it, but respond to it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would just take this, this sad reality and make it, make it known to us in a deep, meaningful way that we wouldn't be ones who miss the opportunity, who lack spiritual discernment, who claim to be wise in our own eyes, who can claim to predict weather patterns, job patterns, and yet we fail to be able to see the truth of the Christ in front of us. And let us be people, if we do know Christ, who, who aren't waiting for some climactic event in our life to call us into deep conformity to Christ. But we understand that the very means of the word in front of us day in and day out are your means of calling us and changing us. So let us not miss the opportunity let us respond in repentance and faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.